We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. How to love. All right, that's good, because if you didn't know it, we would have to start the whole sermon series over again. But we're in the fifth season of, uh, fifth week of how to love, all right? And you are in Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. Thank you for everyone joining us in person. Everybody joining us on the live stream, thank you so much. We love God. We're so glad to connect with you. My name is Chris Lewitt, and we're going to share the word of God with you tonight. The world knows to love, right? Every movie, book, song, just about everything popular in our culture usually carries the message that life is better with love, right? I took some time this week looking at the Billboard Hot 100 this week to see what songs our, our culture is listening to. And uh, the number two song in the world really jumped out at me. Let's see if you recognize this song. The number two song in America is about a perfect family that loves each other just perfect. Every member of the family seems magically gifted. And the doors within the family home seem to just be opened with love and care, except it's not really True. Does anybody know the song I am referring to? Does anybody know the song? Anybody? No one? There it is. We don't talk about Bruno. Now that's the number two song in the land. All right. This song, if you don't know this song, I don't know where you have been. It's like the 2022 version of Let It Go, Let It Go. It's like, oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. All right. In the movie Encanto, we see a family. That seems to be the very lovingest family on the cover. They are just so loving on the cover. Yet, if you get past the veneer, you will learn that there is actually a member of the family that they do not have love for. And they don't even talk about this guy. Guess the guy's name is Bruno, right? And this storyline hits home because our culture likes to put on a display of love. Look how loving we are on the cover. While past the outward wrappings, we have discarded others and have chosen who and when we choose to love. I love everyone. Well, what about Bruno? Well, we don't talk about Bruno. Who who is the Bruno in your life? I love everyone. Well, what about so-and-so? And And you're like, oh, I can't stand so-and-so. I hope that person's not at the connect group meeting because I can't be in the same room with that person. I hope that person doesn't come hang out with us later. This stuff happens in church, by the way. That is wrong. We should not be witness of, let's not talk about Bruno. Let's, Let's not that be us. The world knows to love, but the world lacks the understanding of how to love. Last week, we talked about a love that rejoices in hope is patient in affliction, and is faithful in prayer. That message can be reviewed at our Redemption Church podcast or through our website, redemptionplano.com. In this series, we've kept it really simple. We've been focusing on a passage of Scripture in Romans 12. Let's read it one more time together. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Verse 12, 
be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and finally, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Our prayer for this series is this, Lord, teach us how to love. Can you say that with me? Lord, teach us how to love. We have need to be taught, but we also have need to be untaught. The world has led us to believe some things that are false about love. So we're going to look at two of those things tonight. The world teaches us share, question mark, but what's in it for me? The world teaches the need to love, but it very often places limits on that love. Love up to the point where it costs you something. If it costs you time, if it costs you energy, if it costs you money, then there's like this love limiter that kicks in. If it costs you pride and causes you to live humbly, many people refuse to love at that kind of level. There is a word that we learned in pre-K that many children struggle with. And still today, many adults struggle with this word. That word is share. Everyone practice it with me. Share, right? Sharing is difficult because sharing causes you to have less of whatever it is you share. Share some of your pie, less of your pie. I'm telling you, you ask for cheesecake. Can I give you some? I love you. That's what that means. That means I love you if you ask for cheesecake. You get it because there, it, it actually clicks into my mind. I'm like, if I give this cheesecake, I will have less. All right? If you share a, a portion of the dollars in your wallet, you're going to have less dollars in your wallet. Very good. If you share some of your time, some of your energy, you will what you give, you will have less for yourself. Now, the world recognizes that sharing is good, right? You don't, I mean, every Sesame Street ever has taught us sharing is good. And Elmo comes out and they probably sing a song about it. It's good and it's loving. In fact, the world celebrates people who share. That's why, that, that's how someone got the name that went on that special building at a college university, right? Someone gave, they shared a lot of money, and they got their name on, on that building. And also on YouTube, anybody watch YouTube? Right? You've seen YouTube. It exists, right? For this very reason, there's countless YouTube accounts where people film themselves sharing to those who are in need. Seen this. They go out of their way. I'm telling you, they set up multiple cameras. They're wearing cameras. They've got microphones placed. They've got hidden cameras. They've got people walking by with cameras. There's like a whole camera team. They've probably got like 10 people working on the camera footage. And who knows how long it takes to edit it back all together. But what are they doing? They are filming themselves sharing with the homeless person. They aren't just sharing with the homeless person. They're marketing it. They're, they're, everybody's filming it. And everybody's like, and then they're posting that to the internet and say, oh, just doing a good deed today. People are like, 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 that's so good. But 
you got, it makes you question the motive behind their sharing, right? In fact, it is suspected that many times the videos are completely acted out and the people that they're helping are also actors and no one is actually being helped. Instead, they're helping themselves to a bunch of clicks, likes, and subscribes and somehow getting money from YouTube ads. It's the dirty little secret. Our society would rather be adored for sharing than to actually share. Is that how we should love? Can we comprehend that a world where we'd rather be congratulated for helping someone rather than actually helping them? In fact, if we could just get the congratulations without actually doing something, we would we would do that. Absolutely. Maybe you could find proof all over Facebook where everyone stands with Ukraine, yet no one wants to fight. But I'll give you a, a more kind uh, example for, for this. The highly theological and yet prophetic show called Seinfeld. It has a clip where George Costanza shares a tip with the calzone guy. Let's see that footage. Praise the Lord for that, everybody. So George shares a tip, right? Puts it in the tip jar. So far, so good, right? It's good to share, but George notices that his sharing goes unnoticed. So what does he do? That's where the problem starts. He reaches back in the tip jar, right? Perhaps to retrieve the dollar so that he can reshare it, or perhaps, who knows, take it and walk off. Uh, I think the world is largely just like that. And this is what you would call self-seeking. And Scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not self-seeking. It is seeking attention. Well, then that's not love. It's seeking being noticed. That's not love. It's seeking Instagram hearts. That is not love. This is not how sharing is supposed to work. This is not how love is supposed to work. Loving and sharing are both giving of oneself without looking to gain in return. You understand? That's what sharing is all about. You say nice things to someone, and even if they act weird about it and turn and walk away and they don't say anything nice about you, you don't get all up in arms about it, right? Because you are giving without looking for anything in return. 
The world teaches us to share, question mark, what, really what's in it for me. But here's what God teaches us. God teaches us to share with the Lord's people who are in need. To, to me, this means this. Being a Christian should mean never being alone. Never alone. Being a Christian should mean that you always have help with your burden. Being a Christian should mean that your needs are being met. They're being met by God, but by also your brothers and sisters around you. Being a Christian should mean no one goes hungry in your house and no one goes hungry in the houses around you. Being a Christian should mean that you're willing to help. Being a Christian should mean that you keep your eyes open for needs and your heart open for needs and your door open for needs. That you're actually looking where else the rest of the world sees a need. They're like, oh, they're going to ask for something. A Christian's like, all right, this is an opportunity for me to share Jesus Christ with this person. This is an opportunity for me to use the blessings that God has given me to share with someone else. This is an opportunity for me to actually love. Being a Christian should be wonderful. Knowing a Christian should be wonderful. Right? We fall short of that, don't we? Do you feel like the world would say, yeah, knowing a Christian is wonderful? Feel like maybe you aren't so sure how the world will respond to that. Well, that's on us. That would be, are we sharing? Are we loving? Are we caring? Are we seeing needs? Or are we more like a George Costanza? Reaching our hand back to the city. If you know a Christian, you should know that Jesus loves you. And that that Christian loves you. There should be no doubt in someone's mind. They should know those two things. If they know all of your, all of your non-Christian friends, because they know you and you're a Christian, they should know that God loves them, Jesus Christ died for them, and that you love them too. That's how it should be. God teaches us how to love by sharing with the Lord's people who are in need. Romans 12, 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. We love by sharing. I'm proud to be a pastor of a church that has always shared. Can I brag on you people here tonight. We have shared with Christians who know Jesus, and we've also shared with non-Christians who don't know Jesus yet, and all in an effort to bring glory to Jesus. We have rescued people from homelessness. We have. There are people in this very room we have rescued from homelessness, and we're so glad we don't want to point them out as to embarrass them, but no. I want to tell you, you have done that. You've rescued families that, that call us saying, we need help. I've got a family with three children in it. Can you help us? Can you help us? And we've gotten to tell them, yes, we've been able to share what you bring to this house with them. We have helped people across geographic, national, and racial boundaries. We have helped people even across denominational boundaries, Right? For some people, it's a big deal to share across racial boundaries. That's nothing. Getting a Baptist to help a Methodist, now that's real love. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but that's an actual thing. 
having that church on one side of the street help the other church on the other side of the street, I'm telling you, that does not happen. I have many times people reach out to me, missionaries coming through, and they've called all the churches in the area. And I'm like, well, have you called that church? Your, your beliefs line up perfectly with that church. Have you called them? They said, no, they, they don't have time for us. No, no. That's a thing that happens. So here, here we are, whatever denominational barriers are, we're like, scrap all of that. You're going to preach Jesus. You're going to go hold hands with somebody hurting. Let's send you. Let's be a part of that. We have largely shared in secret, not because we have something to hide, but because it's not about noticing. It's not about getting the credit. We don't give so that people will stand and cheer. We are doing our best to give for the right reason, to give out of love. We share with people out of love, not for gain. And trust me when I say this, sharing is not a growth strategy that they teach you at a church conference. You don't know. You're not inside inside baseball talk and church uh, life. They've got these big church growth strategy seminars, and there'll be thousands of ministers in a room, and they'll all talk about how to grow things, and they'll talk about websites. They'll talk about hiring the right people. They'll talk about a new logo and marketing. They'll talk about all this. Are you using Google properly? And they'll have all these classes, all these classes, but they don't have a single class where somebody hits you in the heart and says, do you care about the unwed mother in your community? Do you care about the children that don't have a father in your community? Nobody is talking about such things because it is not a church growth strategy. And it really isn't. Trust me, I, I think I, at this point, can prove it that it is not a church growth strategy. We have shared with people you have never met. Now, right. A man over here, Marshall, helped me, helps me all the time. At times, it's very frustrating. But the frustration cannot and will not be that they didn't join our church group that they aren't drinking from the same trough that we are when it comes to Christ, right? No, the frustration is that perhaps they didn't hear our message about Jesus. And perhaps they received from us, but they didn't realize we did it because we love them. Giving is not a church growth strategy. Can I tell you, sharing is not a strategy for growth for you. And there are, let me, Go ahead and tell you, because there's some pastors out there like, I'm telling you what, if you'll learn to give, ah, it's like a strategy for wealth. Okay, there's, there's scripture that they can rub together about give and it shall be given back to you. But I would tell you, pastor, your motive's completely wrong when you preach that stuff. We should give because we love. We should give because we're blessed. We should share out of love. The message is this, you are love. That's the message when you share with someone. You are worth sharing with. That's the message. God loves you, and he has already shared with you. He shared Jesus with you, Jesus dying on the cross. The blood of Jesus has been shared with you and with me, and now we share it together. We love you, and you don't have to be 
bound by drug addiction and live in need. You can have a friend. You can have help. You can have brothers and sisters who will weep with you and rejoice with you. We'll share with you because we love you. That's the message. When did this notion of sharing start in the church of Jesus Christ? Think about that for a second. Come on, church studiers, Bible studiers. Where did it start? Did it start maybe 10 years down the road? Did it start like around the 4th century? Was there a council somewhere where they said, you know, maybe we should try? I would tell you it started on day 1. Where is the church born in your Bible? Where is it born? Acts chapter 2. Look at it. Acts chapter 2, verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is the very first day of the church. God had just poured out his spirit. 3,000 people had been added to the church after hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ preached for the very first time. But before, and, and while we marvel at this part of the, of the chapter, we preach about this part of the chapter. I have done sermon series where we underline this is the, the great commission being fulfilled. Look at that. It's baptism. Look at that. It's believing. Look at that. It's the spirit of God. Look at that. It's the gospel. We have done those sermon series. But before this chapter is over, Luke let us know that from the beginning, they were willing to sell what they owned to give to other people who had need. Day one. That's when this whole sharing thing happened. So Church of Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later, are we neglecting this ordinance of the church from day one? Are we sharing? Are you sharing? Do you allow yourself to be confronted with the needs of others if you look away and refuse to share? There's another teaching of the world we need to unlearn. That verse one in review, it's share. Well, what's in it for me? But God teaches us to share with the people of God in need. Well, here's the next thing the world teaches you to receive the invite. Anybody remember high school? Not being invited to the party. Anybody? I the only one? All right. Now, stop me if you've ever heard this one before. Kid opens the candy bar he bought with his last dollar to find a gold piece of paper in it. And it's one of only five golden tickets. And he begins to sing, I got a golden ticket. Anybody? You know know that one? Anybody? Willy Wonka, very good. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. How about this one? Thousands of owls deliver a letter of invitation to a young boy living under the stairs. The family denies the invite until a giant man knocks down a door and says, you're a wizard, Harry. Anybody ever hear that one? Have you heard this one? A hard-working maiden was not allowed to attend the prince's ball, but a fairy godmother came, and the maiden did attend, complete with a magical dress and golden slippers. Glass slippers, very good. How about this one? He was just a moisture farmer on the planet Tatooine until crazy old Ben told Luke that he could train with him in the ways of being a Jedi. What am I pointing out here? All these stories. What are they? These big stories, larger than life stories, multi million dollar stories. Talk about it later. 
The world teaches us ever so slyly that we hold no value without the invitation. It teaches us that love is found in earning the invitation. For some reason, the special quality of the protagonist warranted an invite. Or it teaches us this, that they were not special until the invite. And as you look in your favorite science fiction movies or adventure movies, all these movies, all these books, all these stories, that pattern shows up over and over again. The world's teaching you this. It's all about the invite. You didn't get the invite? Ooh, bad for you. To the world, love is receiving the invitation. I will love you if you take my invitation. If the glass slippers fit, if you have the magic, if you open the golden ticket, if the force is strong with you, you can receive the invitation of love and be adored by millions of thousands galaxies far away. This leaves us in a state of waiting for a Prince Charming to come and invite us. There are even people who are loved, they are right now in a loving marriage, they're surrounded by wonderful friends, yet they are looking for a, a dramatic Hollywood invite. Can I tell you, it really stinks to be married to a person like that. It stinks to be a friend with somebody like that. Because although you are there, although you are caring, although you are praying, although you are sharing, you're not the invite they're looking for. Do not put your friends and your loved ones in such a condition. Do not do that. The world's teaching will bring you right there. And that's why you see women or men in a marriage looking elsewhere when they have a spouse that has given them the invite of all invites to be their partner in life. There are people who feel no worth unless they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend on their arm. People who feel no acceptance until they get that thousandth YouTube subscriber. It was the actress Sally Field who, upon winning her second Academy Award, which one? Her second Academy Award, I think it's like back-to-back -back years. It's in 1980. Sally Field goes to the stage she goes behind the podium. She's got the statue in her hands, and she cried these words. She said, you like me. You really like me. She had won her second Best Actress Award. Are we to believe that everyone else who did not win Best Actress Award is not liked, not appreciated? Only those that win are liked. That is the teaching of the world. And if you're not careful, that teaching will come right into your mind. Are you loved today? Are you waiting for an invitation? Are you trying to win love and affection? Are you looking for that moment where you finally go, oh, I'm finally loved? That's the world's teaching. God has a much different teaching. Thank goodness, here's his teaching. He teaches, send the invite.
whereas the world is clamoring for the invite, God teaches us to send the invite. God's love, it's not about receiving the invite, but it is about him delivering the invite. The way to show love is not by earning, but by sending the invite. This is how to love, and scripture teaches us this in two simple words. The words are this, practice hospitality. Can you say those words with me? Practice hospitality. It says practice. Practice, it reminds me of a Allen Iverson quote. Practice? I'm talking about practice? Jeff, you know what I'm talking about. It says practice. But the word here is very much stronger in the Greek. It says to pursue with all you have. To give all of yourself to hospitality. It says to press in the Greek. It's actually the same word Paul uses in that verse that we often quote. I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. That word for practice is the same word for press. Now that feels a little different than practice, right? You know, try it over and over again until you get a little better at it. No, this is leave it all on the court, full court, pressing. This is give it all you have to reach. Strive toward, right? That's the word for practice. And what is the object here? Hospitality. What does hospitality mean? In Greek, it's actually a compound of two words. Paul creates a word here by putting two words together. Paul uses the word for kind affection, the word philos. Everyone say kind affection. And he uses the word for stranger, and it's zeno. Everybody say Zeno. All right. So we got kind affection and stranger. And he puts those two words together to mean love of the stranger. Love of the stranger. Press toward loving the stranger. Don't just love the people you know. Love the people you don't know. Don't just love your friends and family. Love those outside your circle. Enlarge your circle to include them. Don't just love the people in your church. Love the people outside your church. I got to stop here for a second. I'm telling on churches tonight. Is that okay? I've worked in churches. I have never worked in a church that thinks they are an unfriendly church. I'm telling you, worked in about 10 different churches. Every one of them thinks they're wildly friendly. Now let me ask you, let's just take a poll. Raise your hand if you've ever been in an unfriendly church. Anybody ever been in an unfriendly church? Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, the church that I most just galatiously said, well, we're friendly. We're the most friendly church I've ever seen. That At that point, no one still had talked to my wife who had been going there several weeks since I've been on staff. I'm looking like, oh, my gosh, they don't know. They're unfriendly. Can I tell you, churches can get so weird about this. They, they say, well, we're friendly. Yeah, but you're only friendly to the people you talk to and to your little clique of people, and they're people that walk in, and guess what? They'll tell you, that they won't tell you the truth. They just won't ever come back. They know that that's not a friendly place. We've got to not just be friendly to the people we know, and they're in our circle, and we're kind of in the same stage of life. Oh, they got kids, we got kids. 
they work at that kind of job, I work at that kind of job, they like that kind of movie, I like this kind of movie. No, like people, love people outside your circle. And I'm not even done yet because it's not enough just to love the people that walk in the room. There is, there is an Alcoholics Anonymous place right next door to, them, uh, to us. We need to love them, but they're not in the room. That doesn't matter. We're called to love them. Love beyond your circle. It's kind of what Jesus did. Look at somebody said, that is what Jesus did. That is what Jesus did. Don't just love the people you agree with and look like you. Don't just love the people who vote like you. Don't just love the people who share the same weird geek humor on Facebook as you will. All right. People, love those who disagree with you. Love those who look nothing like you. Love those that are even hard to stand. Sarah, love your husband. I'm weird. I'm hard to understand. But please love me. So question, did Jesus teach any of this? He taught all of this. No, here's the real question because you can get churches to teach this. But did Jesus live any of this? Oh, he lived all of it. He lived all of it. Luke chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus says these words. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Wait, wait. Remember the whole George Cassandra thing? It was about not getting the credit for the tip, right? If you only love the people who give you the credit back, that doesn't work. If you only love the people who give you the compliment back, that's not a credit to you. No, no, no. He continues. E even sinners love those who love them. So right now, Jesus is just saying, if you live this way, you are no better than those outside of your religious circle. You are no better than those who are sinners. Verse 33. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Same thing. Even sinners do that. Going on, verse 34. And if you lend, if you share to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Verse 35. Here is the earth shattering teaching of Jesus. But love This teaching blew them all away. All the religious leaders, none of them taught this. No, no, none of them. Guess what? It still blows people away, doesn't it? Teaching of Jesus Christ. This isn't taught near enough. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then, your reward will be what? Great. You want credit? This is where the credit is. The credit is with God, your Father, who sees you loving for the right reasons. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Oh, my goodness. What a teaching, Jesus. Can we clap our hands for Jesus?
I don't like sharing with ungrateful people. But I like sharing with ungrateful people. In fact, I'm, I'm liable to stop sharing with grateful, ungrateful people, right? Jesus tells you not to. Don't, don't do it. Because God, the Most High, is kind to the ungrateful. Even when they're ungrateful, He continues being kind. Even when they're wicked, He continues to be Be merciful, just as the Father is merciful. Redemption Church, we should love strangers. That's what the word hospitality means. Redemption Church, we should practice hospitality. Do you see an important root word in the word hospitality? Does anybody see an important root word? Nod, nod if you see it. Let's kind of underline it for us. It's hospital. You see the word hospital in there? Hospitality. Church should be a hospital. It should be a place where the stranger who is weak is welcome. If you're weak, you're in the right place. Need the sick are welcome. The homeless are welcome. The confused are welcome. The depressed are welcome. The lost are welcome. All are welcome. This is a hospital. There's something wrong with a hospital that turns people away. Even a hospital, if you don't have insurance, they're supposed to help you. Even if they have nothing to give, a hospital is supposed to be a place where they receive care. Church. We better never turn away someone without offering care. We got to care. We got to love. Even as God has loved us, we must love. As the Father in heaven is merciful, let Redemption Church be full of mercy. Don't limit your love. Don't do it. Expand your love. This is how to love. No one ever did it better than Jesus. As I draw to a close, I'm going to bring you back to this verse. We come back to this verse every, every week. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you can go to school. You can have really a boring teacher that just reads out of an old dusty textbook. That really hard to stay away. I want to tell you, God doesn't just give you a few verses in your Bible and, you know, they're boring and they're old and they're dusty. That's not what it's about at all. God gives us a demonstration. always loved it when I had a teacher that could give a demonstration. Right? Words sometimes failed, but if I could see it being done, now I understand it. God doesn't just give you lessons. He gives you a demonstration on how to love. And what is it? Jesus Christ shows us so clearly how to love when he dies on the cross for who? Sinners. Sinners like me. So let's close this sermon out by comparing our lessons to Jesus on the cross. What did he say? The world teaches us to share, but... What's in it for me? Remember that lesson? So was this Jesus' attitude on the cross? Did Jesus say, you know, I'll share 
know if these people will all bow down and worship me right now? Did Jesus pull a George Costanza and only share when it would be seen or celebrated? Or did he share in secret? I would tell you there are stories of Jesus' sharing that aren't even in the Bible. Or did Jesus give even though it would not be celebrated? No, it's true. Now let's compare it to God's lesson. God tells us to share with the Lord's people who are in need. Did Jesus share with those in need? Yeah, absolutely. The stripes he took with that whip. Anybody remember what the name of that whip is in Roman history? It's called the cat of nine tails because it had nine tails on it. And those tails were braided with things like glass and stone and, and bone. And they would rip into the skin. It was absolutely brutal. Well, Scripture tells us that the, that the stripes, the beating he took with that cat of nine tails, he, he gave that to us. He didn't just receive it. He gave it and shared it with us as healing to anyone in fact, I always pray when I'm praying for somebody who's sick. I always say, Jesus took the stripes for their healing. And we thank you. I just grab a hold of the healing he's already provided. We aren't trying to be good enough to earn healing. The healing has already been shared with us. And we receive it by faith. Amen. There's a man healed right back there clapping. Yeah. The water and the blood that poured out from his side. He gave to share. Share what with us? Forgiveness and justification. It's all everyone that needs forgiveness. Everyone that needs cleansing. He gave to share with all of them. The life he gave. He gave so that all who needed life could have an overflowing and everlasting life. He shared his life. With us in love, Jesus shared not to receive something in return, but to answer every one. Share with the Lord. You are in need. I want to tell you today: the Lord has shared everything. All faith. Receive Him today, followers of Jesus. We have a, a Jesus shared with those in need, so we should do the same. Next lesson, lesson of the world, remember, was to receive the invite. Receive the invite. Did Jesus live by this worldly principle? Is that what he did? Did Jesus try to receive the praise of a king named Herod? When he was called to King Herod, did he act suddenly different? Say different things to try to get Herod to... You know, praise him and love him. Maybe build him something. Get him out of this hardship. No. What about Pontius Pilate, that governor of Rome? Did he, did he try to receive an invite from him? Did Jesus seek entry into the upper class power structure of people like the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin? Not on your life. Jesus taught incredibly unpopular lessons for rich people. Right? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a wealthy man to enter into the kingdom. Who said that? Jesus said that. He said that. 
said it. He wasn't looking for an invite from, from the wealthy people in the upper class. Jesus doesn't need your invite. What's God's lesson? God's lesson is to send the invite. Jesus does not seek the invite. Instead, he sends the invite. In fact, Jesus is the invite. He says, behold, man at the door, knock. Anyone, I will come to you. I will invite you. He sends it not to just his family and friends. He sends the invite not to just a select few. He doesn't just send the invite to those that are special enough to earn it. There are only five golden tickets in that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Aren't you glad that God has more than five invitations? Aren't you glad he didn't just spread them out randomly or to certain people? Jesus invites everyone. Not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. Not just the free, but also to those that are bound. Not just to men, but also to women. Jesus gives Invite all. Jesus gave hospitality, the love of the stranger, the love of those who are far off. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you were that far away stranger, you have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. In Matthew eleven eighteen. Jesus gives this invitation. He says, come to me. Some of you who are weak. Somebody correct the pastor. Come of you, those that are with it. They quote enough scripture. No, what does it say? All. Come to me. All who are weak. I. Every stranger called. Every person that's confused, called. Every person that's sick, every person that's lost. Every person that's lost, they don't even know they're lost. Every person that's hidden, called. Come, come. If you are reading this verse wrong, can I help you real quick? You're reading this verse wrong is when you see it, you don't see yourself. When it says, all who are weary and burdened, if you think, oh, it's probably that person over there who's weary and burdened. If you don't see yourself in this verse, you're reading it wrong. I ought to get some big nods on that. If you're reading this verse and you don't see yourself, you are the one this invitation goes out. If you feel far away from Jesus, he invites you to come. If you're weary, you're heavy burdened, he invites you to come. If you're a stranger, Far away, he invites you. He invites all. This is how to love. Lord, teach us how to love. Help us to open our love, not limit. Help us to share with that are. Help us to not only love those that are near us, but also those that are far away. I invite you today to spend these next moments. I want you to talk to the Lord.
For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.